You're listening to the Creepy Kingdom Podcast Network, covering and creating all things creepy. Visit creepykingdom.com to get access to all of our articles, videos, and podcasts. Join our Patreon for exclusive content. Patreon.com slash creepykingdom. Kingdom proudly presents Wicked Wizardry. Hello, everyone. It is I, Tanisha, your magical professor of the Wicked Wizardry podcast. Welcome to this episode. And I have a couple of special guests joining me. Uh, I have James of House Slytherin. Hello. <laughs> and I have Ryan of House Hufflepuff. Ahoy. Hello. And so today we're talking about all things Malfoys and the Malfoy family. If you don't already know, here at Creepy Kingdom, we are celebrating our year of wicked wizardry. Um, and as such, we're covering all the sort of dark side, creepy side of the Harry Potter and Wizarding World universe. And today we're talking about the Malfoy family. Um, so let's just hop into it. And so I just want to start with the first Malfoy we ever meet, of course. And then I think, and I think he's honestly like the center of the mouth, the the perspective of the Malfoy story that we kind of get right over time, sure. which is of course Draco Malfoy. Um, we're introduced to him. Depending on if you are a, a pure blood, meaning you have read the books and seen the movies, uh, or if you are a <laughs> wait, I didn't know I didn't know you guys are going around yeah, no, <laughs> calling people that just watch movies mud buds. <laughs> wow. Yeah, 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 actually, James, there's there's a whole hierarchy in the fandom community. So if you, wow. you to be pure blood, you have to have consumed both the books and the movies. To be a half-blood, uh, you have only read the books but have refused to watch the movies. And then you are a muggle-born or mud-blood if you have just watched the movies and not read the books. And you are a uh, muggle if you haven't done anything. You haven't engaged in the Harry Potter universe at all. So there you go. Little, The more you know. Wow. Uh, that's that's <laughs> a topic. You feeling called out? <laughs> I'm not called out particularly, but on the first episode, I went in extensive uh, detail about how I experienced this saga uh, via film first and then read the books. Well, and, then you're a pure blood because you've done both. I know, but so yeah. but I don't like I don't like mud blood being associated with uh, with with films. <laughs> so that's a different topic. There, read a book, kid. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> please continue. So, so, uh, as I was saying, if you are of pure blood status, you know that we uh, met Draco. The first time we meet Draco in the books is actually Harry meets him in Diagon Alley in uh, Madame Malkin's uh, robe shop as, as Draco is getting fitted for his robes. And he's talking to Harry without even knowing who Harry is at that point. And Harry's already kind of like, ugh, this kid's scummy. I don't like him. Um, 
or in the movies, our first introduction to him is is when they arrive at the Great Hall, right? And uh-huh. same introduction, kind of like this scummy kid that's like, turn my nose up and Harry, be my friend because you're like popular and cool. Um, and he has an interesting arc, which we'll get into in a minute. But what is what is y'all's first impression of of young Draco? Especially in those earlier books and movies. Take it away, Ryan. Um, I, I, I feel like Draco is somebody that is in our lives all the time growing up. You know, like yeah. we all kind of knew people like that or interfaced with people like that at times. And you always just kind of feel like the energy gets sucked out of the room or out of a conversation when you're around them. And you like leave feeling depleted or maybe I'm just, I'm a bit introverted. So like, maybe that's why, but <clears throat> I, I always kind of drew a line between Draco and uh, a guy that, you know, I grew up around who was just, you know, better than everybody else, wealthier than everybody else, deep family connections, um, very little substance to him as a person and just really kind of like somebody that you didn't want to be around. And so that Draco just really resonated with me as an instant turn off and reading, you know, the books. Um, and then in the movie, yeah, I mean, you know, when he first meets him, I saw a great meme where it's like, Hey, you know, I'm a racist and my dad's going to try to kill you, but you should be my friend and know, you know, who, you know, who's ahead of who, who, who to be friends with, you know, that kind of stuff. It was just like this bizarre narcissism. So that's kind of always been my read on him. Uh, I mean, I definitely can agree with like, you immediately identify him as, uh, as, um, it's the kind of guy that's trying really hard to impress, um, but sometimes actually does impress by the uh, overcompensation, <laughs> uh, which pr- probably happens to him pretty often. As you know, you would imagine based on what we see is that uh, by Harry's response, it might have been the first time that he kind of got some kind of rejection for him, kind of you know flaunting <laughs> who he is. Uh, but my uh, the initial reaction is like, uh, you know, yeah, it's like even just like, what is this kid about? I mean, everyone you you encounter up until this point it, that's magical has been pretty awesome, if yeah. I recall, right? <laughs> so he's kind of well, the, the first one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> he's like the first one. Yeah. You're like, uh, okay, I guess there's uh, schmucks <laughs> in the Wizarding World too, right? <laughs> Didn't quite. I definitely felt he was overcompensating, so I didn't. I didn't think he could live up to whatever he was uh, trying to sell. Was it that because he was ten, or <laughs> maybe? No, I mean even with even with even within the ten-year-old uh, social circle. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. I was about to say. <laughs> I mean, he does. Have, he has yeah. way too much confidence for an eleven-year-old. Like you're like what? Yeah. Where have you gotten this from? Uh, I do. I don't know when the good point to bring this up is, so I'll just bring it up now. And I don't know if I'm going to be on uh, a future book club episode. But um, I actually, <laughs> I have. I I think the relationship between Harry and Draco is better displayed in the film of Sorcerers as opposed to the book, because the. So much of the book um, is uh, is uh, Harry's inner monologue, 
Yeah. <laughs> and he just goes on and on and on about how much he hates Draco for really no reason. <laughs> like, the, it was just like, oh, he was kind of mean to my friends and I didn't like him. But then he's like, why? Well, and then he's, he's like, oh, I don't want to be in his house because he's, he just identified him as like, this guy is going to be my enemy. <laughs> and it, and in my opinion, I was just like, it didn't really make sense that he would have so much uh, like hostility towards Draco to the extent that was displayed uh, throughout throughout the book. I thought that in the film, they kind of toned back on that a little bit and could just see like, oh, this guy's a jerk and he's being rude to my friends. So when when we have conflict, it makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, that's. I think that's one of the things. The biggest uh, differences between the book, the book and the movie, the book. The book. I like <laughs> the that. Book, <laughs> <laughs> the book and the movie, like depictions, particular of all the characters, but even of Draco, is just that you don't have this inner monologue because it also, and as a Slytherin. As you know, I, you know, I try to battle these negative stereotypes of Slytherins like all day, every day. Yes. And and that was like going in line with that, like initial judgment of Draco. He also like because we're listening just to Harry's inner monologue throughout the books. He's instantly like turned off of all Slytherins. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you're just you're. You know, as he walks into the Great Hall and he's like, oh, I look over at the Slytherin table and they're all sneering and scowling, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so you just sort of get this impression of, like, they're all Dracos. Like, everyone in that whole house is just Dracos. And, like, they're all these terrible, horrible people. Um, but without... they're the antagonists. Well, clearly. They're really, they're, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? So, yeah. like, they, yeah. you, you, have to, you have to lean in on that. And then yeah. the whole like founding of Slytherin House is around, you know, Salazar Slytherin wanting pure blood wizards only in his house. Right. You yes. know, so he didn't yeah. want anybody but pure blood wizards and he didn't want anybody who, you know, for lack of better terms, like whatever the aristocracy or the blue blood of that, the wizarding kind, he wanted only the pure bloods in there. So you're dealing with no offense, inbred, you know, aristocrats. And that's who really yes. formed the the genesis of that. So that that's why they have that kind of thing about them. And that's why the, I sure. think I think that's where that perception is laid in in the writing. So you're supposed oh, to yeah. feel that way. What I think the movie yeah. did really well was cast Felton. He he just really oh, yeah. stuck it as Draco. He played uh, originally like he uh, auditioned for the role of Potter, but they they put him in for Malfoy. And I think he did a great job with that role and owned it through the whole process. But in that first, in the film, he really makes Malfoy tangible without it being overkill. Like, you, yeah. you hit it on the head, right? Like, he played, it, he played it a little, like, a little cooler, you know, on screen than they did in the book. So, yeah, it's totally a different experience going back and forth between the two mediums with him, for sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then, obviously, like, I, I, what I think is interesting, too, particularly in the writing of that first initial introduction to Draco and then his arc over time. Mm. Like it sort of, it, it's, it, it, and, and not even just with his character. Like we can, I can, I have several characters that I can point out how JK Rowling did this pretty brilliantly with, but you start off like in that first book and that first introduction to characters, it seems like it's very black and white, right? Yes. Draco's a bad guy. 
Harry's a good guy. Dumbledore's a good guy. Snape is a bad guy. Like you just sort of like start pegging these people. And then, you know, and Draco was like a prime example of just over the course of the books, which, you know, we'll get into more like you realize it's more complicated than that. It's not that clear cut. It's not that, you know, oh, just like they're all terrible people and that's a terrible person and that's a good guy. Like it's. Yeah, it gets complicated. And I, mm-hmm. I love the way even Draco's story unfolds. And, um, and particularly in the second book, we are introduced to Papa Malfoy, <laughs> 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 Mr. Malfoy, Lucius, who uh, <laughs> is a very slimy character. Used that, car yes. dealer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is. Use oh broom my. dealer. I don't know. I know. What, Use what, broom what? dealer, yeah. <laughs> he totally is a used broom dealer. Like, he's just, he's, well, and then it was interesting. So I was reading, I don't know if you have all read the extended um, materials that J.K. Rowling has written about the universe on like Pottermore. Pottermore, or, yeah. Yeah, on Pottermore. So have you read the Malfoy one? About uh, their it's been a long time, but yeah. And I, okay. I know a bit about it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, so uh, just like in a nutshell, essentially, they, they are descended from a long line of Malfoys that came over from France with uh, King William or something. Mm-hmm. And, and they have a history of the reason their family is so rich is because they have worked secretly with rich muggles, royalty hmm. in the muggle yeah, community. Yeah, leaders yeah. in the Muggle community offering them their magical resources in exchange yep. for goods and and material favor. things. Exactly, favor. And so the Malfoys, yeah, the Malfoys have this long history of sort of um, working behind power where it benefits them. So like Malfoys never want to be front and center in power, but they've always Was it been. They'll, yeah, they'll never be at the scene of the crime. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, so there's like this whole, uh, yeah, they, they would get like art and stuff like that from, you know, uh, different muggle leaders. And, and that was how their house was filled with like expensive, you know, things. They were always, like she said, you know, at the back behind people trying to manipulate, you know, systems for their own favor. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. So they're good at that. particularly old lucius yeah Yeah. let's talk about lucius yes let's talk about him i want to talk about him he's he's a very interesting character that obviously you know is is because he's descended from this history uh you know he just sort of carries on that family lineage right of just like Hmm. i'm just gonna find the most powerful man in the room Mm-hmm. And be his hype man, and you know, like, <laughs> true get, too. Get, you know, benefit off of that. Like, I don't know. Wow. Yeah, he. I mean, he does it all the way through the books. Like, I think, like, even like where it really gets pronounced is in like Order of the Phoenix, where he's you know in the ministry during the time that you know Voldemort has returned, and Harry cast the Patronus. And has to go to court to defend himself after he saved Dedham's. Mm. And, you know, Dedham. Lucius is there conferring with, um, you know, the minister. 
And it's just like he's right there in the seat of power, even though when he bails out of there, he's going and hanging out with Voldemort and, you know, doing Death Eater stuff, whatever Death Eaters do when they do things. <laughs> so that's the whole like that's the whole it, it, he's so complicated and rich of a villain in that regard because he, he really is very smart and very cunning. I think he like nails that. Um, it's just, you know, it's a shame he uses it the way he does. What's, what's the, okay. I think the words that I would use for the Malfoys are mostly cringy. You know, they're just like, they're cringy people. Like you're just like, ah, so like mm-hmm. the scene where like they're, you know, in the films specifically where like they're going into the, um, the Quidditch world cup and like, you know, he, he's the, the Weasleys and Harry are going up to the top floor and they kind of stop them and, you know, we've got seats by invitation of the minister himself, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, don't, don't boast to these people, Draco, uh, you know, he, he just like cuts people down and he's just like, he, he's such a cringy guy and, and just like, I don't know if you have kids or you're around kids, like, could you imagine like, like cutting kids down the way he does to the Weasleys or like to anybody where it's, it's just, it's terrible. I, I just think he's a terrible person personally. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I would I would say that there's absolutely no redeeming qualities of <laughs> like he's just like I don't have an ounce. I mean, it's interesting you said like oh if you only use his powers for good. I never really looked at it that way because I don't have any respect <laughs> for him. Yeah, man, at I all. Mean, that's, and, oh, that makes sense. And I see back to Draco a little bit here that Draco is clearly trying in, in the early. Uh, part of the story to be his father <laughs> like he's like this is how you like conduct most yourself boys are. yes of course yeah he's like this is how you conduct yourself this is how you comb your hair this is how you... <laughs> right <laughs> like he's literally trying to be his father and, it, and it's interesting where Draco's journey takes him you know away from that <laughs> Yeah, which is rad. Good yeah. for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's he's it's a very he's a very cringy character. I I just find I find Lucius and Umbridge to be like some of the most cringy characters in the Harry Potter stories. Where just oh, yeah. reading their dialogue, watching them on screen, you just don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. No. I know. Well, and then like I loved and then again, another brilliant casting. Jason Isaacs is like um, just amazing, so so good. Um, yes, he is. <laughs> and then our introduction to him, I, I thought, was just like so perfect because that in the in the movies they played it brilliantly because mm-hmm. it was just like you know you have Draco kind of being his usual like snotty self to Harry and and the crew. Yep. in uh the bookshop and then all of a sudden lucius just appears and just knocks draco down a couple pegs and is mm. like draco no i like like i'm the master let daddy Malfoy. work yes exactly <laughs> let daddy do his his work and like calm yeah down. it's rough it's yeah. rough and i i'm a big weasley fan so like you know that's game over right there don't don't mess with the Weasleys. Leave them alone. Yeah, I love me some Weasleys. Even as a Slytherin, I love the freaking Weasleys so much. I wish I could be connected to that family. Yes. Yeah, yeah That's awesome. so much. I, do I know. Too. You might, you but, might, yeah, you might but... want a 23 and me. You might be related. <laughs> wow. Me? 
This, this, I, this is oh. going unique places. <laughs> do they have a, Do they have a magical twenty three and me? That would be interesting. Dear Siri, how, how, how inbred the the Malfoy family probably is. Oh, pretty, um, pretty inbred. Because there's only a few of them, right? There's like the Lestrange. There's the Lestrange the, family. There's the Black family. Yeah. There's the Malfoy family. There's not that many mentioned. Um, Gaunt, the Gaunt I, family. Yeah, um, I know. I know. At one point, she kind of listed them out, but there's not that many, so they're all just inbreeding together. What about right. the uh, Burke family? They have to. Yeah, they're marrying like their third and second cousins yeah. and whatnot. Which pretty much is. Is probably a parallel, you know, obviously a parallel to the aristocracy and in, in the in the Muggle world, where you know you're centralizing power and influence in these few specific bloodlines, and how that you know manifests over time into leadership and the ability to manipulate governments and all that stuff. So there, there's a bunch of subtext with all of that too. That's really interesting. That I think you know Lucius as the the patriarch at the time really you know gives us. Uh, a looking glass to say like, okay, well, and I, you know, certain politicians that are from families, you know, and, you know, things like that in our real world that we can look at and draw a straight line across and be like, yeah, this actually happens in real life too. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah. Yeah. That's true. Kind well, and then even, um, if you're familiar, if you're a hardcore nerd, like I am, which I, I assume, uh, like the, like <laughs> Harry and Voldemort are actually cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, they, because they're both descended. Harry's descent, the Potter line, is a, a, another pure blood line that is descended from the Peveril line, and the Gaunt line, which Voldemort comes from, is also descended from the Peveril line. So him and Harry are cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and then you know, uh, uh, Bellatrix Lestrange is actually Draco's aunt mm-hmm. because her his mother is her sister. They're both, right. and then but oh, then yeah. she's also. She's also a serious, serious black's cousin. So that right. they're all like, yeah. <laughs> and that's where, that's where it's really, that's where it's really like, you can see those parallels like in oh, real yeah. life to how, to how royalty and aristocracy works, blue bloods and all that. Um, I, and I always took that from the Malfoys and the whole like, you know, pure blood mania kind of idea um, that there was some historical context there that we should keep, mindful of as we're exploring this stuff because it helps us to get a better understanding of people that fall into that same sphere when we interact with them in real life um Mm. and kind of you know keeps you on your toes for watching for used broom dealers in the world (laughs) those luciuses they're out there yeah, and for those of us in show business, there's plenty of used broom dealers out there, so you just kind of start to feel it. You we start need, to feel their deal out, you know. We need we need, we need to trademark this. This uh, I feel like uh, it should be a creepy kingdom thing. Used broom dealers. <laughs> Come on down. We're slashing prices. We're going crazy. <laughs> Memorial Day sale. We got the Nimbus 2020s fresh in. <laughs> I want one. I know, I want one too. What the heck? I might go down to that used broom dealership sale. I might fall victim to Lucius's uh, sale there. What do I got to do to get you on this broom today? (laughs) Five hours later. Want the gold plating? Gold plating? I'll throw that in for you. 
We're adding real value to the fandom here. <laughs> I thought that was that's, that was my hope uh, when I started the podcast. Voldemort <laughs> <Like>, approves. <laughs> He's, he's the this ad has been what is it what are the politicians saying endorsed uh, I, I approve I, this message I endorse this message yeah. I, I, I approve this message I'm Lord Voldemort and I approve this message that's okay, right let's, let's just yeah let's I want to keep doing that about... voice so let's move let's shift gears because I'll keep doing the use yeah we can <laughs> we can go on with this oh yes but anyway back to Lucius um and the Malfoy line uh. Yeah, so then, like, I guess going through... I mean, they don't... The Malfoys don't really have any other significant... Well, obviously, Chamber of Secrets, Lucius was the mastermind behind that whole plot, right? Like, to try to bring Voldemort back. And he... And and a little bit more background on Lucius, actually. Obviously, during the first Wizarding War, which was the time of Harry's parents, he, he was a Death Eater... Um, but he managed to, once Voldemort fell, he managed to escape imprisonment because he pulled some strings in the ministry and convinced the powers that be that he was under the imperious curse and that he was not uh, doing Voldemort's bidding under his own will, which a lot of Death Eaters, shockingly, a lot of Death Eaters got away with. There were so many Death Eaters that went free because they claimed they were under the Imperious Curse, which I'm kind of like, mm. Which the lie detector test determined that was a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that seems like uh, like anybody could say that, right? I mean, what's the, how do you... <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I mean, like, again, parallels to present day. Like, let's make a really poorly informed decision that infects, or affects, sorry, I live in Seattle, so I'm thinking that infects right now, but like affects an entire populace. Let's make that poor decision. Well, I was just doing what the president said. I mean, it's the same, you know, you can always use that, you know? And I think it just goes to a lack of character. And it just kind of shows, again, that lack of character and accountability that, that, you know, that group has. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and just that he's playing this playing the fence the whole time, right? Like he works in the ministry and he's putting on this front that he's working in the in the best interest of the ministry and the safety of, of wizard kind and, and all this kind of stuff. And then meanwhile he's like actively trying to bring Voldemort back. Uh and through poor Ginny Weasley. <laughs> yeah. This poor girl. Really uh, sad. Yeah, yeah. And then also, like, dude, you're opening up the Chamber of Secrets. Like, children can die. Yeah. And that just points to how awful Lucius is that that even for his own, like, gain, he's willing to sort of sacrifice children. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, don't know. I, I don't think life matters much to him or human or other people's lives wizard or muggle (laughs) but his you know his own life matters because i think his his arc while he doesn't ever redeem himself he does show himself to be the coward really that he is you know Mm -hmm. in in the battle of hogwarts so you know and like he he just he'll go where it's safe you know and and that's really like whatever's going to serve him best in the moment so he, he doesn't really have convictions. He doesn't really have morals. Um, I think we've given him a lot of time. I just, I just don't like him. He's a bad, he's a bad guy. 
Yeah, <laughs> and a like, terrible father too. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. He's yeah. A bad role model. Yeah, bad <laughs> terrible role model. Lucius is But can I just say though, his wand and his cane are beautiful. Yeah. Like you know, we can throw the him cane. to Azkaban, and I'll keep his cane if that's possible. Um, I think it can be gorgeous. arranged. Yeah, I think it's possible. <laughs> I'll make it happen. Yeah, it's a pretty realistic idea. I think I, you get I, away with it. I'm a pure-blooded wizard. I, I have connections, too. I'll find somebody. There maybe. you go. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in the hierarchy. Um, but, yeah. So, he's, I mean, he's pretty awful. Pretty bad dad. Um, I'm trying to think through. I'm go, Literally, mentally, I'm just going through the books and the movies right now. Of like, what are some, like, key moments? I don't think Prisoner of Azkaban had too much. My favorite, my favorite <laughs> Lucius moment is when Dobby gets his sock. <gasps> yes, that's oh, my yes. favorite Lucius moment. We, it's like, that, that was it's, so great. Oh my it's gosh! Like, uh, ha 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 ha! You got yes. outcunning. <laughs> yes. You got outsmarted by a twelve-year-old child. Yeah. And yeah, then who's, was... who's, who spawns? You know the most awesome character. You know that we get to ride along with as well, just Dobby. So, but yeah. I think I think that that's really an interesting turn of events there and and he gets a little taste of it right there which is oh, nice yeah. That's, yeah that's a good moment oh yeah and can we just for a moment touch on that the wizarding world is just like cool with slavery um apparently yeah i'm like you have these mm. house elves that are owned by wealthy people to do all of their bidding and all work for them clean for them cook for them do everything. Um, and like the ho- the wizarding government's just like, it's cool. It's yeah, fine. yeah. Wow. You know, I never really <laughs> thought about that. There's so many other like non human <laughs> creatures in the wizarding world that don't get this treatment. <laughs> no, the, no. House elves, the house elves get it the worst. That's why, like, in, uh, was, I think it's Goblet of Fire, Hermione starts spew. Where it's like the Society for the Protection or something of elves, of elvish welfare, elvish welfare, yeah. Yes. So she, you know, she's going around trying to promote, you know, uh, basically to liberate, you know, the house elves Abolition, from slavery. Yeah. yeah. And so she's she's on that agenda, and you know, obviously, you know, everybody who owns a house elf in the, in the Wizarding World is just like, you know, they wouldn't know what to do with themselves if they weren't here working for us. <laughs> it's super. It's super greasy. Yeah, there's yeah. totally okay. slavery. It's yeah. it's it's exactly what it is. Yeah, um, it's it's. I mean, even at Hogwarts. I mean, granted, Dumbledore agrees to start paying the house elves that work at Hogwarts, right. like cents a day. Yeah, which is like it's basically it's, so it's a school. It's a school. They don't have any money. <laughs> they don't have any yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just. I'm sure they don't have more. any wealthy. Oh, don't even stick up. They pay them in leprechaun gold. That disappears after you get it. Dumbledore, um, arguably, I could make a case that Dumbledore was probably the worst headmaster that Hogwarts had ever seen. Like, I, was, oh, yeah. I, was, I was just about to say that he de- he's definitely with his flaws. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. We have if, a whole Dumbledore episode that I'm I'm so ready for. It's but he's like, not a villain. No, not quite a villain, but he has his flaws. A, well, it depends on your perspective, but um yeah. I mean, he's in the yeah, he's trying to in the long run benefit all of wizard kind. But you could argue at what cost? I don't know. Does are you a good guy if your your actions are, you know? Well, what you I mean, just... you have to think. Okay. You have to think about it from the sense of a school with Dumbledore. Like, would you send your kid to a school that all the stuff that goes down at Hogwarts, you know, was going on? Like, no. You right. Wouldn't. Even as a well, wizard. And even, <laughs> and even Lucius, that Lucius, you know, was kind of like. Dude, Dumbledore, like you're letting all this stuff happen on your watch. Like, what's going? That might have been his. That might have been Lucius's only moment of parental responsibility. No, I, I, I think yeah. we're, I think we're just a chance to stick it to him. I don't think he really cared. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with you, James. But and and I kind of always have thought of Dumbledore as like your cool uncle, you know. That's like just like yeah, come on, it's, yeah, have a beer, man. It's cool. right, right. Yeah, yeah, it's like, not a big deal. Yeah, he's just, he's just kind of a cool uncle. Like, oh but, lord. A little, little dim-witted at times. Oh, also, what, which was it? Uh, Half Blood, where he's ignoring Harry. Is that? Oh yeah, yeah. So it's like when your uncle, like you know, and he all of a sudden your uncle is like a dick, and you don't know what's wrong with him. <laughs> he doesn't want to hang out. He doesn't want to hang out with a kid anymore. <laughs> he's like, you're not cool anymore, kid. He's like, get out of here, man. I'm hungover. <laughs> what's hungover? Yeah. I'm so, I'm so oh, ready to lay into him on the on the Dumbledore episode, but anyway, that's but, way in the future because he's not even part of the weird year of <laughs> wicked wizardry. So stay tuned. Not? Oh wait, yes he is. Wait, didn't we? You I don't put Dumbledore on the list. <laughs> you made Dumbledore a wicked wizard. You know because he's I have not. I have listen listen. <laughs> I have a bone to pick with him. I have I do have a bone to pick, and to be fair. Okay, I'll you know what I'll I'll say I could go down a rabbit hole. I'm gonna stop myself from going down this rabbit hole. But anyway, uh, as, as a, a, a couple more Malfoys to talk about. Yes, we do have a few more Malfoys well, we have to a, talk about. Well, one uh, uh, one in particular, I'm really excited to talk about. <laughs> which Malfoy are you excited to talk about? Narcissa. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, we, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I feel like her moment because I'm kind of working through the books, right? Her okay. moment comes later, but but Narc- sure. yeah, Narcissus, no, for sure, Narcissus is an interesting character. Um, but yes, and then poor Dobby, who technically is part of the Malfoy family by ownership. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, until that's, that's, Potter I mean, the Liberator sets him free, the Great Emancipator. Right. True. I mean, not to make this dark, but technically, I mean, when you're a slave of a family, you then carry that family name. So technically, Dobby's still a Malfoy, right? Touche. Sure. Because that's how slavery works, at least in America. Um, well, this so, didn't take place in America. This did not take place in America, so we need to see yeah, how how slavery worked back there. I don't. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I think it was the same. I think your 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 slaves took your family, your name, because you own them and they were your property. So I'm assuming, I don't know. But anyway, so Dobby technically is a Malfoy by ownership. I don't know. Um, but if cool he is Malfoy. a Malfoy, he was the best Malfoy. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Dobby was the greatest Malfoy that ever lived. We can all, precious, we, yeah, we precious can, little Dobby. We can all 
you know, relate to Dobby's, you know, when he realizes that he's made a poor choice and the banging of, of his <laughs> head. <laughs> Is that just me? Sorry. <laughs> You're like, dang it. Yeah, that's just you. Oh, okay. But uh, no, I did not consider him a Malfoy before this recording, uh, but I, I can't argue your point. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking, but yeah, kind of sort of connected in there by property. But yeah, um, I'm trying to add Prisoner of Azkaban. There wasn't too much going on with the Malfoys. Um, obviously, Goblet of Fire marks the the pivotal turning point in the series because it's Voldemort's return um, which Malfoy is present and actively a part of and all up in it and goes right back to kissing uh, his lord's bootay so to speak. I mean the power shift was right in front of him. He had to get back in line. (laughs) Get back behind that power. That's right. He knows power when he sees it. Um, and so, yeah, so Goblet of Fire happens and he, you know, he, uh, again, he sort of gets away because for whatever reason, the ministry is so resistant to hearing Harry's testimony about what happened in that graveyard after the Triwizard Tournament and that Voldemort was back. They were just like, nope, nope, didn't happen. We don't know why this kid died. I don't know. Was a fluke. It was an, you it know. was an accidental death. Can we? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually want to pause there, and that's, I want That always puzzled me. I don't know if you guys have any insight on why they were treating him that way at that point, when the evidence is so clear. <laughs> because Fudge was convinced that Dumbledore had a secret plot to overthrow his power and take yeah. over the Ministry. Mm. So. Fudge was basically just against Dumbledore. Harry was aligned with Dumbledore, and that made him a not credible source of information, or or a scapegoat, or a villain, or whatever. But that was kind of how that 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 was seemed to be the motive. Yeah, that they believed it was it was sort of a story concocted uh, by Dumbledore and fed to Harry in order to yeah get Dumbledore his opportunity to rise to. Greater power because uh, was threatened. Yeah. Um, well, I got and, and fear of losing power, right? Mm. So you've got right. really the Fudge's concern about losing power. That's yes. really what you're dealing with there. Yeah. Is he's a, a weak-willed leader that is concerned for his place. Yes, he he very much so is, um, and very threatened by Dumbledore, understandably, because Dumbledore. I mean. Uh, you know, Fudge is, is the minister of magic, but everybody knows Dumbledore is the most powerful wizard alive. Like, there's no, you know. I was like, Dumbledore has way that. more swag. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, Dumbledore's like <laughs> Elvis Presley. He's like the king. Like, you, you know, can be the minister, but I'm the king. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. He's, you know, any man that can rock without pants is you know too cool good thing i'm not tilting this camera down (laughs) (laughs) show you how cool i am i'm pulling a dumbledore right now Uh, yeah i don't know but um i'm trying to think yeah goblet of fire and then order we get to order phoenix and then you sort of see 
Lucius kind of enjoying his freedom and kind of like this, haha, I got away with it. Catch me if you can, but you can't. Like, you know, no, nobody, he still is pulling so many strings in the ministry um, at that point as well. And I think probably with Fudge's paranoia, like obviously Lucius being a Slytherin, he's sort of, you know, capitalizing on people's fears and whatever he mm. can take advantage of. And I think he was probably heavily feeding in to uh, the opportunity with Fudge being so paranoid about Dumbledore's power for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, it manipulates him towards Voldemort's agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's as the story goes on, those characters minus Lucius get richer um, and more complicated and show more humanity. Whereas, you know, Lucius on the other end just continually gets more repulsive and (laughs) tough to read and watch as, as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, you start to see stuff as you get into, you know, half blood prints and all of that, where you really get to see that, you know, like Draco's just a kid. Trying to yeah. impress his dad, pretty you know, much. Which yeah. Pointed out earlier, and trying to live up to a legacy of manipulation and um, intolerance and kind of, of all that stuff, and he has a hard time doing it. Like he can't kill Dumbledore. He, mm-hmm. you know, he can't. He he's not wired that way. And maybe that's his mom in him, right? Um, yeah. Because she's she's always kind of that character. That's she's you know quiet and reserved, which. Maybe that's because, you know, the type of person that Lucius is needs somebody who's a little subservient, you know, kind of in his life. Um, so she just kind of sits back in the shadows while he takes the driver's seat. And I don't know. You know, I mean, it's you, you really do start to see that arc, though, as the story goes. Like, you, you, you can kind of feel the whole family defining itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. a really interesting part of this to me because I, I think the the one thing about Draco that you know really sticks out to me all this time later and still watching it now, but is really just like he tried, you know, he he made he made an effort to like be the bad guy, yeah, and it just yeah. didn't stick. It like wasn't <laughs> it wasn't him, yeah. You know? He's like this doesn't fit. Yeah, I'm not this person. I thought I was, and I realized I'm not. There's yeah, a no. great deleted scene from the Harry Potter films where he like throws Harry the wand. Yes. That oh, in, I'm so in mad the they deleted of Hogwarts. That. Yeah, I really. I never seen that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. should Google it. It's amazing. He like it's, he like runs while Harry's in Hagrid's arms or whatever. He like runs and like throws him the wand, and you know Hagrid or Harry jumps up and you know gets priori and cantatum with Voldemort and like starts the battle and stuff. It's awesome. I know it's such a, a missed opportunity for that character because yeah. I yeah. feel like that little moment could have been so much of like showing that was that, like, like his whole movie. Like, I know. I mean, it was like all of the movies together, it would have just been like, yeah, it was kind of one of those moments like Neville, you know, killing Nagini. Yeah. Yes, um, I know. And you, you, I just seeing that deleted scene was like, yeah, that's awesome. Good job, Draco. But you never got to get that out of him. Um, would have been an interesting take on the character had you been able to, you know, summarize him in that way. Um, but he, yeah, so he actually the, had a full as, journey. As, yeah, 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 right. That he 
Well, I mean, he does get the arc, right? Like you see him on the landing platform at the end of the uh, second Deathly Hallows, mm-hmm. you know, in the book. Obviously, you know, he, he, he goes on and he's not his dad, um, which I think is great. And I think it shows that even if you're from, you know, those kinds of conditions, you can evolve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that I think that probably gives, you know, some hope um, for the character and how he's going to progress. But I would like, yeah. so I like, I would, and I think this has been alluded a lot of times that, uh, that JK knew where the characters were going to end up from the very beginning. Is that like a general consensus? Yeah. She, she said she plotted yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, w- I would think that would be, that kind of makes up when I think about it for the view of Draco in the first book. <laughs> Because he's so viewed as like this is my enemy. I'm the bad. <laughs> like, like I hate him right. so much. But it's like that Harry kind of learned the lesson. Two, yeah, the, the two that you know, like, well, he saved him in yeah. the room of requirement. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So, I mean, so like, there, there's there's lessons there for both of them. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of got robbed of seeing a full, like, I guess to be the anti-hero's journey. Like you got you got robbed of seeing a full metamorphosis out of Draco yeah. in the movies with the cutting of that scene, um, yeah. but y- it you know I think it's there in spirit. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, I agree. It's just a little bit softer. It's not as on the nose. It's an afterthought. You, you're sitting there thinking about it, and you're like, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> I, I, I hope I, that people sit there and think about this stuff because otherwise, I think we're all pretty weird. <laughs> Just FYI. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but uh, you had brought up another character, which James will be very excited about because I think we're now in like Half Blood Prince territory, which is my favorite book of the series. I love Half Blood Prince so much because it just dives into so many characters. Um, backgrounds and backstories and and just fleshes out so many characters that we had seen mostly as one dimensional or two dimensional up until that point um and we get to know draco a little bit further because we're introduced to his mom Mm -hmm. narcissa at that point um and the unbreakable vow and how powerful that scene was because she's she's a she's a mom who is fiercely protective of her kid. And, and you know, she, you kind of get to know her a little bit. And even in the books, they don't talk about her a ton. But even from the little moments we get of her, you know, while, yes, she does kind of take a backseat to Lucius and she is, you know, seems to be kind of like, it's his show, I'm in it, you <laughs> know, I'm just in it, you know. Um, when it comes to her child, that's the one time that she's like, no, I'm, I'm stepping up to the plate and doing what needs to be done. And, and that moment of making the unbreakable vow with Snape that he's going to protect her son because she knows what her son is being made to do, which is an awful thing to place upon a kid. Cause he's what he's 16 at that point, 15 or 16 at that point, a 16 year old child, you're asking him to, murder the most powerful wizard alive knowing he's he's not going to succeed he's going to fail there's he's you know if it was just between him and dumbledore 
that's not going to happen. And, and she knew it. So she was like, oh, no, I'm going to put extra protections in place to assure that my son is, is protected when he's being asked to do this, like, terrible thing. Yeah, uh, the, the maternal instinct. <clears throat> yeah. So, James, James, is she your favorite Malfoy? She's your favorite? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, probably. But but what's interesting, as you brought up, is that there's the least amount of, uh, like, information (laughs) as opposed to the other members, you know, of the immediate family. Um, And I think it's more of, like, one of the – a case of, like – you kind of fill in the blanks, <laughs> kind of like because it's not really there. So as I'm as I'm really thinking about it, I was like, "You're like, why is she your favorite?" I'm like, "There's only really one reason," <laughs> and it's really the moment in Deathly Hollows mm-hmm. when she says, "You know, is is Draco still alive?" Right, <laughs> and that shows like she doesn't literally care about anything else that out of all her kid. she just cares about her son so she's willing to throw away the, you know to jump out of the passenger seat of this you know train to nowhere the lucius train <laughs> i mean essentially right i mean which is arguably the voldemort train and he's the caboose right but, right right right, right. Yeah. <laughs> i mean she's kind of you know as you said going along with it but what else is she going to do but she does this moment just kind of like Nope. Like yeah. nothing else is more she's, important. She's cunning too, right? So in that in that moment, she's acknowledging that even though the killing curse was just put on him, he's still alive. Yep. She saw the and, writing on the wall. And she was like, Oh yeah, so the prophecy is real. Like this kid's gonna take him out. And I, I think I think that yes, she's obviously concerned about her son, but I think she's also very smart and I think she's very cunning. And I think that there was even a little bit of that acknowledgement in that scene, which, you know, it is what it is. But she definitely noticed that in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like you had to. Yeah, yeah. She was, I mean, obviously, she was the one who kneeled over him and she realized, holy crap, this kid is alive. He has survived the killing curse again. And I think she was like... Voldemort can't kill him. No, yeah, Voldemort can't kill him. Like, she just realized in that moment... Voldemort is not going to win. Right. We are not. So, on, she was like, we are not on a winning side. So I'm yep. gonna check and see if my son's safe. And this is my point of like ditching Camp Voldemort because yep. he's not going <laughs> to win. Which is exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is exactly she's what like, happens. Nope. Carried back to Hogwarts and then she bounces. Yep. She's like, we're out. I'm taking my yeah. son. We are hightailing it out of here. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. And Lucius does the same thing. Yeah, yeah, because he's, yeah, he, and all, a lot of the Death Eaters, right? I mean, at least in the movie, I'm trying to remember if in the books all the Death Eaters started dipping out the way that they did. But um, in the movie, they make it pretty clear that all the Death Eaters are like, well, this is a losing battle. We're out. And they just <laughs> one by one start, like, disapparating out of there. Um, and, yeah, realizing that we, we've already lost, like, there's no... No, I'm not going to risk my life. And and for Narcissa, she's like, I am not risking my son's life anymore for this losing battle. This, yeah. She was like, no. Nah. <laughs> yeah, and she also has a quirks. 
Yeah. She also has a what? A gorgeous wand as well. The, the Malfoy, other than Draco, Draco's wand is boring. But Lucius and Narcissa's have like my favorite wands. Of um, I'm looking at my wands too as I'm saying this on the wall. Uh, she, yeah, she has like one of the prettiest wands as well. So I just wanted to throw that out there. But yeah. And my second reason that she's my favorite is her killer hairstyle. <laughs> she does have great hair. Gotta love that. Uh, the bleach under the, the bleach blonde over the under the brown. That's a commitment. That's a, yes. She has to go in every uh, I don't know few weeks. Get her roots rebleached. <laughs> For a bald I mean, man, I'm... you know a lot about this product. <laughs> <laughs> well, James is all too familiar with the pains of bleaching. Uh, I was about to say that's why I don't have any. I bleached it uh, to death yeah. when I was. Uh... <laughs> A young tat, young, uh, young man. <laughs> I almost said young tadpole, and I don't know why. <laughs> young, young Padawan. Yeah. <laughs> wrong fandom. Wrong fandom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. But yeah, so it's no, the hair just... and the mother, the motherly instincts. Yes, and the wand, the wand. Yeah, that's sure. all. That all makes her just awesome. One of. The, she's the best Malfoy if we're not counting Dobby. She's also got. I like her swag too. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I. I don't have a stronger thing for her as I do for Bellatrix, but, you know, I, I like what's going on in their family. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> this, yes. this would be a real, uh, you know, trying to, you know, figure out which one to date. You know, if you, you know, I, I would. I don't know. Narcissa or Bellatrix, you yeah. mean between the two? Yeah, I don't sisters. Know. Probably for like um, my will to live, it would probably be uh, Narcissa because <laughs> it probably wouldn't take much for Bellatrix to kill you. I would imagine in a relationship. No, but that's a topic for the Bellatrix episode. That <laughs> I know. Yeah, not to mention that Bellatrix ain't loyal, apparently, according to Cursed Child. So that's another thing. But anyway, uh, these witches ain't loyal. <laughs> These witches ain't loyal. No, they ain't. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, no, and, and like, and also going back to Draco, he's one of um, my favorite story art characters just because of, you know, I mean, he, you know, he's kind of like this sniveling kid that's like, oh, my father will hear about this and uh, and whatever. <laughs> But I think in the end, if you really think about what he carried on his shoulders, like, especially in Half-Blood Prince, like, Draco's kind of brave. Like, I mean, to to have to orchestrate bringing all the Death Eaters into Hogwarts and, you know, knowing that, like, he, you know, his father's in Azkaban, he could very well get caught and end up in Azkaban in everything that he's doing you know, and he's, you know, he goes, you know, I don't know if he's, a, I don't think he's aware of the vow that Snape made to sort of basically do the deed for him um, when it comes down to it. But he went around the whole school year believing that he was going to end the school year killing Dumbledore. Like, I can't even imagine going to school, walking around, knowing that. I'm supposed to, at some point, attempt to kill the most powerful wizard. And I'm just a 16-year-old kid. 
like his grades must have been horrible that semester. Right, <laughs> like I'm just. Draco's like, doing really poorly in school. I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't know. Like, like you know, and you, I, you feel a little bit. And then again, kudos to Tom Felton's performance too, because I just felt like in the movie, you know, what what limited time we got to see Draco kind of going through the struggles he was going through, like he made you kind of, you kind of felt bad for Draco. Like, dang, like (laughs) his dad's in prison. His mom's having to hold it down at home as a single mom. Uh, you know, like everybody, you know, everybody already, you know, he has to deal with Harry sweating him throughout the whole half blood Prince book. Like Harry is just like paranoid and on his back and watching him and following him around and stalking him. And like, I don't know. I, I, you know, you kind of feel a little empathy for Draco of like, dang, he's he's forced to do all of this for his family, for his dad that he's always trying to chase after his approval and and to be like and, um, yeah, I don't know. Draco has one of my one of my favorite story arcs, I think, of the whole book series. I would say um, Half Blood Prince is really the first time that you could feel sorry for him yeah yeah that you, that totally you actually true that you should that you actually see this other side of him <laughs> and in your in your instinct of you know up until this point uh, is to be like oh i don't want to feel sorry for this guy <laughs> right <laughs> he's been yeah. such a jerk <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it the you know if you're a decent human being you, you can't help but to feel sorry based based on the circumstance you know yeah i know well and then also like this sort of narrative of like you know and this is going off of my professional hat sorry here uh in the work that i do <laughs> is like so i i study a lot and do a lot of work around like trauma informed care and 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 how trauma in in our lives and our situations that we're sort of born into and brought up in sort of sets us up for certain things, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not so easy to say, oh, just don't do this or just don't, you know, be this person or just don't, you know, whatever. But when you're surrounded by it your whole life and, and it's all you know and, it, you know, like you start to realize that Draco is really just a victim of his circumstances and he was playing a role he believed he needed to play mm-hmm. to sort of survive in this world and and exist in this world. Like, that's what he needed to do. Um, and then for him to kind of open his eyes a bit and, and realize, like, I don't have to live this life. I don't have to be this person um, which is why I'm still, I'm, I'm still like upset about them deleting that one scene of him tossing Harry the wand, because I felt like that, that was like the perfect moment of being like, Draco's completely like been like, no, I'm, I've been fighting on the wrong side this whole time because of my father and, and everything like that. And I'm making a choice right here and right now. Like that mm. would have been so epic to see, but it didn't happen in Forge or it didn't happen in the final cut. Um, mm. Harry just has a wand. I don't. I don't remember if the movie ever explains how Harry gets the wand, but he just appears with the wand and he's like, oh, "I'm ready to fight you." I mean, it's it's like, magic. Come on. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's excuse for any uh, continuity issues in the films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It just appeared. I don't know. <laughs> it was in his uh, right hand. Now it's in its left hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Drake, Draco's just, he's a fast, he's a great character in the sense that he is a fascinating character. But. Uh, I do want to Draco love bucks. Yeah, so I, I, I forgot to mention that. So when uh, when Deathly Hollows uh, came out and in book form, I was working at uh, Barnes and Noble. So I was working at the uh, midnight release of it, and some of the other uh, coworkers were like, "Oh, we're going to dress up as uh, as you know as characters. You know, you should dress up as someone." I was like, "Oh, all right. Well, I." I want to be Draco because I just thought of like, what is the polar physically opposite of me as possible <laughs> person from, <laughs> from the whole Harry Potter universe? And I couldn't, I, I mean, it's really, I couldn't duplicate the hair. I was able to get a blonde wig, but it was more like a 60s bob cut. Nice. So I looked like, uh, like, uh, <laughs> Draco Brady. Like, well, no, more like, uh, Prince. Charming or something. It had the little. <laughs> Your Draco's like Solid. older brother that they don't talk about. Right, right. That needs to be the ep- the picture for this episode. By the way, if you have a photo, yes. I, I I have an amazing photo of it because it's like somebody took a photo of me from a distance without me realizing it, and it's on a Polaroid. It's like super stalkerish. <laughs> Oh, I look at snap. I don't think this would really be a good picture for that. I abs- look absolutely nothing like Draco whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, you can pull it off. Um, I had to tell people I was Draco that you know they didn't they didn't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but, they just uh, thought you were some like '80s glam bander or something. I, I don't know what people thought I was, but I mean, clearly other other people like were looked you know actually dressed up as like characters. <laughs> And there's like, why is this guy wearing this wig? I'm Draco. I'm, I said, I'm Draco. What do you want from me? I, I, I didn't even do his voice or anything either. I just talked like, hey, what's up? I'm Draco. Let's do this. Did you have the beard and the glasses too? I didn't have a beard, but yeah, glasses for oh. sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just to finish this thought out, when I was thinking about this earlier, I was thinking about what a, no pun intended, magical time that was. Because that month, which is June of 2007, arguably had to have been the best time to be a Harry Potter fan. Oh, yeah. Because Deathly Hollows came out, and then we're like a month out from Order of Phoenix coming out. And right as Deathly Hollows came out is when they announced um, that The Wizarding World was coming to Universal Studios. Yep. All that happened. And I got to work a midnight release party where... I, for a book, which I'd never done before. I mean, I know, and no one goes to stores to buy Those anything. Those were a there. big deal. Yeah, that was a Those big Those parties th- were a big deal. Yeah, no, it was huge. It was huge. But I'd never actually been at a midnight release for a book. I'd been for like a like an album or something like that. And what for was, movies, movies. Okay, yeah, obviously midnight movies. releases for movies. And what was really was bizarre was, I was like, all right, it's midnight. I can buy the book. And so people would buy the book and they'd be cheering in excitement. And then it was just quiet. 
because people just Start sat down reading. and started reading. Started reading right away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you'll never see anything like that again. I'm like, <laughs> you were like, shot, 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 shot. They were just reading books. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's the end of my trip down memory. I just thought it was that that whole memory was worth bringing up because it was a, what a fun time. I never got. You know what? Even though I was like a Harry Potter fan. 2000 and 2010, I think, was when I read the first book. But my mother thought I was too young uh, to go to midnight releases. So I never got to revel in the midnight book releases. Uh, I know. But she did. She would do the thing where she would like pre order it to be delivered by Amazon like the next that morning. So I didn't get to do the midnight release, but it would be on my doorstep at like 9 a.m. like that morning. And it was just literally like my mom would be like, oh, your book's here. She'd be like, "Okay, I guess I won't see you for like two days. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Just like hold up in my room and I'd literally only come out to like grab food and go back in. Or go to the bathroom and go back in. Like, that was it. And I, just, like... I kind of imagined while you were grabbing food and, and running to the restroom that you were still reading. Oh, yeah. I would bring the book with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I would have the book with me. And then, like, you know, I'd prep all my food. And then while it was, like, heating up in the microwave or whatever, I'd be reading. And then it would be done. And, and I'd go back to my room and then open it up. I was I was that kid. I was definitely mm. that kid. But, yeah. But I did... Perfect segue here because... The one midnight book release I did get to go to as an adult was for Cursed Child. Ooh, <laughs> yes, perfect. Look at that. Look at that. James taught me well. Um, <laughs> Segway King. <laughs> <laughs> Segway King. Um, and so I definitely want to talk about, if we're talking about Malfoy's, um, and then also, too, this is really fresh in my memory because I just, before... Uh, and this is going to timestamp this recording, but we're in the midst of the coronavirus quarantine right now. Um, literally the weekend before the quarantine started, it was literally the last weekend of shows. And since then, they've, they've been shut down. I got to go to San Francisco and see the Curse of Chubb live, um, which was magical and amazing. And I, even if you're not a fan of, of the the screenplay and, and reading the story, like I get it. I'm there with you. There's certain story points that I'm not a huge fan of, but being in that theater live was amazing. And I will definitely endorse like that show is just amazing. I can't, um, I can't and- even imagine just like, the with the old the print the effects <laughs> yes, <laughs> that I've heard so, about it's so the yeah just all the special effects happening around you in the th- like you're just like it's literally like watching I almost compare it to like watch you know you're watching a Harry Potter story take place but then also it's like a David Blaine magic show right, right. <laughs> like, all these things are happening you're like how did they do that Whoa. look 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 amazing <laughs> that so was my great. David Blaine impersonation <laughs> look look, look. <laughs> you know, who's, a, who's a better magician like show to see like live uh like, Chris Angel Chris Angel, Angel yeah <laughs> mind free <laughs> <laughs> like watching a Chris Angel live production that's Harry Potter themed um yeah it was it was so cool but um anyway I, when I was reading it and, and when I saw the show even more so because the actor 
that plays Scorpius Malfoy. Uh, John Steiger? Steiger? Who Stamos? plays Scorpius Malfoy in... Uh, no, not Steiger. <laughs> Stupid. Uh, he played, he Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a little too old, I think. Okay. Um, to play Scorpius. Yeah, just like he was a little. He was this close, but yeah, you almost got it. That much out of Ada. So close. Um, but yeah, he played Scorpius brilliantly. And Scorpius, if you don't know, is, is Draco's son. Um, and uh, Scorpius is just this like loving best friend he so you know if you spoiler alert if you haven't read cursed child sorry but i feel like i have to talk about you haven't but also i feel like this whole podcast is like spoiler alert i don't see how we could even possibly (laughs) 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 harry doesn't die (laughs) how could you oh my gosh dumbledore dies what yeah, you're yeah, you're it's too late for you. Yeah, it's too late. Um, <laughs> but um he so Scorpius is Draco's son who becomes BFFs with Harry's son, Albus Severus. Um, because Harry apparently is a huge Harry Potter nerd who named his kids after Harry Potter characters. Um, like you do. And, yeah, like you do. Um really rolls off the yeah, tongue, Albus Severus. That's like a Albus <laughs> Severus That's like a tongue Potter. twister. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, Albus Severus Potter. Um, and so, yeah, and so he forms this friendship with Harry's son, and of course, there's you know all this tension between their fathers, and and bet- you know, and then this threat of Voldemort. Like, there's this whole coup of trying to bring Voldemort back. So, you know, Harry is is feeling pressure and a. a um, to try to figure out and stop whatever's happening, all these occurrences that are happening and, and Draco's son is being harassed and bullied at school. So he's, his son is the Slytherin who is getting bullied uh, at school Mm. because it, you know, the rumor out there is that uh, he's not actually Draco's son, that Draco can't reproduce. I don't know where that, where, I don't know why, but but yeah, I don't know. I don't know, uh, but he, so I, I guess because Draco and his wife um, had a hard time getting pregnant. And, and I thought so, it was his wife. Where is this coming from? I thought from? it was his wife that wasn't able to. Because she had, she had an illness, right? Because she ended uh, up, right. she, she died. So she was, Right, she dies yeah. when he's like 13 or 14. Yeah, yeah. But she can't conceive. And yeah. so, but she wants to give him a son. So mm-hmm. then there's like some theory that you know she, i think it's like the time turner or something right and Vold, she gets yeah that she went she back, in back time. And, wait is this all in the cursed child yeah it, oh, okay i didn't know this, this was po- i know this was potter war stuff or something because i was like i don't i never heard of any of this no, and then she she supposedly had an affair with voldemort and then yeah. to get pregnant and wow. then come back to times yeah that devil <laughs> yeah well because so I mean, uh, uh, spoilers for you, James. I'm saying spoiler alert more for you, James, because you haven't read it. Mm. But, you know, essentially we find out that Voldemort did produce a child and that uh, Bellatrix <laughs> was the mother. Yep. Um, and that she, what? so she, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So she, so essentially the way the time. She's cheating on you. 
she, yeah, she's I'm shaking my head in disgust I, for the <laughs> listeners at home. <laughs> Essentially, the, the timeline is Bellatrix got pregnant uh, like around the beginning of the last school year of like when Harry would have gone back to school. And then over the course of the nine months that Harry and company were like, you know how they were like on the road, yeah. in Deathly Hollows and like traveling, that she was, Bellatrix was pregnant during that time and she gave birth right before the Wizarding War. Milk, milk my snake. Wow. What, what, per- what perfect timing. That's how you plan yeah. a pregnancy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To give birth right before the Wizarding World War. Retroactive continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is yeah. one of my problems with the Cursed Child. But okay, yeah, anyway. so much. Well, and then also Cursed Child, just for the record, Cursed Child was not written by J.K. Rowling. Cursed Child was right. written by two fans who wanted to uh, wanted to write a stage production that was essentially taking place after the events of the Harry Potter series and JK Rowling gave it her stamp of approval so it wasn't even written by her but yet it's stamped as canon because JK Rowling stamped it it's basically super highbrow fan fiction okay it yeah yeah essentially is what it is and so that's why a lot of a lot of harry potter fans just struggle so much with it because there's just a lot of retconning and a lot of plot points that like well that doesn't mix and you're just throwing that in there and you know that kind of thing but that was one of the things was that bellatrix had a child and so obviously the rumor got out at that time that voldemort had had a child and nobody knew they were like who who's the mother because apparently like bellatrix was just like kept protected in hiding while she was pregnant because Voldemort didn't want anything to like happen to his child i guess um and so like but the rumors got out i don't i don't buy it (laughs) i'm sorry this doesn't make any sense (laughs) i'm beginning to feel the pain of people that have problems with the story Exactly. You can suffer with us now, James. Now you know. Bellatrix would be out there doing whatever she wants to do, pregnant or not. Nope. She She wouldn't go into hiding. She'd be smoking and drinking. Yeah. Killing people. All through her pregnancy. All through her pregnancy. But yeah, so the room, I mean, I guess that's where the rumor came from, right? Was because obviously, like, certain people knew word got out that he had a kid. And then when. Draco, and then there was the rumor that there's still time that that uh, the Draco family had a time turner, which the rumor turned out to be true that the Drake the, or the Draco the Malfoy family did have a unregistered time turner, um, and that they the the child that Voldemort produced was was the child that Draco was claiming to be his, um, to protect it, but. I think Scorpius. I mean, they pretty much like we're like, no, Scorpius is Draco's kid. I mean, he looks just like him. I'm like, how can you like literally the silvery blonde hair and the pale Magic. skin? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, but he yeah, he doesn't um, resemble young Tom Riddle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but I love Scorpius so much, though. Like that was the one thing about the the stage play and the story that I did appreciate was Scorpius was just he's this awkward kid. Like his dad's Draco, so his family just has this like bad reputation. But he's and it's almost like he tries to overcompensate for it. I think by just being yeah. like the sweetest, nicest. Like you literally first meet him and he's like, I brought candy because uh, I've read somewhere that candy can help you make friends. And I don't really have any friends. Will you be my friend? Like he's literally just this like 
Precious little wow. cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there any yeah. plans to uh, to make a film out of this? I hope not. I, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't. None that I've ever heard of. Yeah, no, none that I've ever I heard of. No, Mm-mm. I I think they're going to release the theatrical piece on DVD at some point. I'm sure, but oh, I know yeah. they've talked about that because of the Excel accessibility issues. It's a pretty expensive thing. Like I've never gone to the play. I'm big on theater tech and all that stuff, and I, I've heard it's amazing. But I've never gone just because I didn't want to fly to New York um, or London for that matter. And then when it came out to San Francisco, I have been intending to go and see it, but still it's like to take a family of three to it. It's like for the full run for, for good seats, it's like two grand because it's broken into two performances. So you can either sit through both performances in one day or like see, you know, act one on Friday, act two on Saturday. Um, It's just a ton of money. So it was a big barrier to entry. I think for a lot of people, um, to go and see it. And so eventually you'll probably see it on DVD, but I, I just want to go on record as saying, I, I just am not, I, I just don't like it. That's I don't fair. like it. No, I don't totally like it. <laughs> I do like that character though. I mean, I think, I yeah. think it's, I think it's cool. I think it's cool to see a Malfoy that isn't a total jerk all the time. And I think it's an interesting turn of, you know, the screw, I guess to put, you know, him and um, Albus together. And you do see him in the end of the Deathly Hallows when they're on the platform and everybody's going away in the film. Mm -hmm. You do see, you know, all of them together as a family, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of interesting. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's part of canon, I guess, in that way. Um, But it's just, it's a really interesting spin on it. And there's tons of fan fiction out there. I mean, like, you know, fan fiction and Harry Potter are, like, really synonymous. So it, it, it was just it was an interesting choice of what they did with him. Yeah, definitely. Well, it definitely makes sense that, I mean, you know, fan fiction's rampant all over the place. But there's just, like, there's so much going on in these stories in this world that are not been tapped into that yeah. people are just craving <laughs> I'm not sure the cursed child oh, yeah. is that case, but I mean, you know, <laughs> no, no, give us the Marauders, the Marauders. Yes. Give us the Marauders. Oh, streaming I stand, series. I stand for a Marauders television series. Oh my yeah, gosh. Give me 12 to 24 hours of the Marauders on Netflix. I'm all about it. Like, oh, I think that I would hope. be a f- awesome. You know what? Yeah, Warner, mean, I, Warner brothers, yeah. if you're listening, I'm sure you are. They're huge fans of the show. Yeah. Creepy <laughs> Kingdom started Harry Potter podcast. Oh, stop what you're doing. New episodes out. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta do or, it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, yeah. But if you're listening, give us give us a, a Marauders or even like even just like a television television series about that first Wizarding War. Yeah. Like there is there is an audio series that's fan made called The Great Wizarding War that's all about yeah. the first Wizarding War. Um, it's pretty good, pretty pretty good. Like you know, fan fiction. If you're into fan fiction, I recommend it. Um, but I would love a television series, like just seeing like James and Lily and seeing getting to see Snape first go to Dumbledore, like and yeah. and mm-hmm. that whole start. Like 
oh my gosh like the I have you ever seen um it's called voldemort origins of the air yes i have yeah that's, that's, that's another well-made fan too. yeah that's another yeah, really well-made fan one crazy good production values it's like an hour long made by triangle t-r-y angle films um yeah that that's a pretty impressive thing so I mean, there's some really great spinoffs that you know kind of cover the dark side of the wizarding world. I think everybody's pretty fascinated with that, you know, good evil struggle. Um, you know, and, and there's so many things they could do that would be cool. I, I would even be interested in like a sitcom, Meet the Malfoys, where you know, <laughs> they come home and it's like, what's for dinner? And it's like, you know, nothing. And let's, they'll just go steal dinner. We don't have a house do. house anymore, so who's supposed to make the dinner? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the first episode. So, that Dobby just got liberated, and now the laundry's yeah. piling up. Who's going to make the dinner? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was what I, that's what I, I thought wanna... we were doing here was meet the Malfoys. <laughs> I thought we were going to just do some like classic, classic, like, 80s like or 90s, like, comedy sitcom where there's, like, a laugh track, oh, yeah. and it's like a Draco. Yeah. Right. What did you do now? <laughs> Who would their neighbor be? They have to have an annoying neighbor. Would it be Slug? Would it be Slughorn? <laughs> Who's another? Well, they they live in. They own. That's the thing is they own a lot of land, so they don't really have neighbors like next door. No, but someone's got to pop in. in meet, someone's got to pop in. Meet in. the Malfoys. They have to have a neighbor. <laughs> I know. And it's got to be an annoying work. neighbor. It has to be yeah. an annoying neighbor. Um, meet like Skeeter. Oh God, yeah! Just constantly popping in, not minding her own business. I think that would be a good it, one. Bridge comes over every now and then for a visit to have some tea. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think oh, she visits. Days, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you could just take all the cringy, just kind of people, and build this little universe out of them. I really did think that's what we were doing with the show. I thought this was a right oh. exercise. We're gonna make our own show. <laughs> That, um, I mean, that could be a whole new episode. Yeah, in yeah, that, that, something that's there. how James gets me to do things. He's like, "Oh, you can write a show off of this." Ah. <laughs> he lied. I lied. But no. no, I think I think I think there's I think there's gas in that tank. Like I really do. I think there's gas in the tank for like the Malfoys and like how I don't know. Like I I just get this. I don't want to beat up on current events, but like I get this feeling that we're being controlled by Malfoys. In, in the society that we live in. And I, I, I think they're a great example of what not to do, really, personally, until Draco turns the page, which, I mean, I'd love to see the people that operate that way turn the page, but it's it's just there's this um, really present subtext for me with those characters. Oh, yeah. So I think I it would actually, be fun to see that explored. Oh, yeah. I would love to see, actually, a retelling of all seven books from Draco's perspective. Wow. Wow, that's a commitment. <laughs> that would be I mean, but how amazing would that be though, right? Like just, you know, all the all the political meetings that were probably being held at Malfoy Manor and all the things Draco was overhearing and the plotting that Draco was overhearing and Yeah, Harry's like, POV is really like misanthropic teenager like Right. Yeah. So it would be kind of interesting because I think I, I honestly think that um Draco's perspective from this story, if you were to put it in his point of view, would be more mature because I think he was exposed to more mature things. Mm. I don't think he had people buffering him like Dumbledore and McGonagall and 
even serious and like, you know, all those people just kind of buffering him from exactly what's going on or Mrs. Weasley, who's like the biggest buffer ever, you know? Um, I think Malfoy, we, you'd see a totally different side of the wizarding world. I, I, you know, it'd be, that'd be really interesting. It's a good point. Yeah, I would. I would love that. But I J.K. Got, Rowling, if you're listening, no, <laughs> no that's our core, that's our quarantine project. That, I was like, that, was, that, was like, that would definitely, obviously, be interesting. But I, I mean, clearly, I'm, we're glad that this story was not told through Draco's point of view, because right, right, I, yeah. I think the barrier of entry uh, f- for you as the reader or viewer is that you yeah, know it'd be pretty cringy. Or just like, you know, like you know as much as Harry does. <laughs> Right. Yeah. which is not a lot <laughs> like right. at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think that's, I to me, that was one of the huge appeals of this is that I'm not watching a a, 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 char- a main character that knows what's going on and I have to kind of catch up. It's like we're discovering this together. <laughs> yeah, no, for yeah. sure. But I mean, you know, what is what is what does Draco discover throughout the process, which I mean, I think we've covered, but I mean, it's definitely an interesting perspective. Yeah, one, I mean, especially as, like, hindsight, right? Like, obviously, we would still want the original series from Harry's perspective. But, like, it'd be interesting if she came out with, like, a trilogy of books that were sort of... Yeah, paraphrase, not, like, literally each book. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's the the big question with her. I mean, after her um, acclaimed screenwriting career is over, you know, will she go back to writing, you know, narrative fiction books? And if she did, would she go back and expand on the Harry Potter universe? And I don't think she's, you know, she said before that, that, that there's not an inclination to do that. I don't think she has, she hasn't said that she wouldn't, but I think that, you know, it'd be really interesting to see like what she would spin out from, you know, and what characters she would take. But I think she's got a, like a penchant, obviously for the darker side of things. Um, so it'd be kind of interesting to see. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I'm here for it. I, just, I would be too. I just kind of had a thought, and you brought, you know, you, you, since you mentioned something from Star Wars, kind of popped in my head. Like, what is the future of the Wizarding World once it's no longer in J.K.'s hands? I don't. Mm. That may or may not happen in our lifetime, but like, I feel like once it's out of her hands that you're going to get this kind of stuff because we're getting it. I mean, with, we're getting it with Star Wars now, right? Yeah, it's, it's there with fan fiction, right? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. fan fan fiction in a, in a sense, right? Like the first fan fiction was, was based off of Sherlock Holmes. So his, you know, Doyle's stuff was the first set of characters that had their own little universe like that, where everybody spun off of it. Mm-hmm. Other notable examples would be Lovecraft, um, you know, Stephen King now, um, you see all of these iterations of these like epic authors and their universes being spun out. And we have the same thing with Harry Potter, but you know, Rowling's still alive. Like, I mean, so 25 years down the road, will you probably see like super deep fake, well-produced iterations of Harry Potter? Yeah. I, I mean, I would love to do that. And I, I think somebody will for sure. So you'll probably get that at some point. Well, I kind of hope, I mean, because she's, a lot of, a lot of Harry Potter fans are saying that she's George Luke, she's George Lucasing right now, right? Like where it's, it's, uh, she's created this amazing universe and this amazing thing, but now she's like just going a little too far. Well, <laughs> like, I think like I said this on the, too much I, I think I said this but. on the first episode of that. She, 
it's what happens when there's no you have nobody to answer to. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, well, that changed. That changed after the last film. She had yeah, some yeah, serious answers. They're, they're yeah, the Warner Brothers is reining her in. But I would I would love personally like the way Star Wars has grown beyond like and not just fan fiction, but like like actual like film and t- like the Mandalorian right. is brilliant. which is I mean it's all it's all fan fiction though. Like I mean that's what right, I'm saying. Right. Like, it's yeah, all yeah. there. It's it's all people taking an idea and spinning off of it with words and then other right. creatives come in and tell stories visually or whatever, video games, whatever you want to do. Speaking of this, Harry Potter uh, role playing game, have you seen the trailer for that? There, so the no. last, I think it was last year. It's been a while. There's a Harry Potter role playing game that just like looks amazing, and I guess Warner Brothers just said recently uh, it, something else leaked, and so they confirmed that it is coming out, and it looks awesome. So oh, people that okay, I'm excited because we play a lot of Red Dead Redemption at my house, and. I was just like, could you imagine a Harry Potter video game made by Rockstar Games that was like Red Dead Redemption or Grand Theft Auto quality with like a huge universe, not like stealing cars or stuff. But you could still, <laughs> stealing you, brooms. Yeah, stealing brooms and Avada Kedavraing people. Like, and l- l- listening to 80s songs? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they, they probably listen to cool stuff over there. Yeah. But like, I think I think we're headed into a time period where what you're saying, Tanisha, is probably going to happen, right? You're just going to, you're going to get more of that. But I think there needs to be a little bit more distance between the living author and the work mm-hmm. to get to the point where, you know, it can, it can happen. Um, as somebody who made a Stephen King mythos spinoff, like, I know that that was like, some people were like, don't, don't, don't. And other people were like, yes, yes, yes. But either way, it made no money and got like minimal audience. So it was one of those things where I think for people that are making Harry Potter content, you're really just playing to the nerds, which is rad because that's what we want. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the government should give them a grant to make cool stuff. That, that's what they do origins in of the, yeah, I know that origins of the air though. Like seriously, if you have not watched so that, good. watch that. I have not watched so it. Good. I wasn't yeah. sure about very, it. But. It's a very well-made fan film about like sort of Tom Riddle's descent or descent or ascent into becoming Lord Voldemort, and it, it's yes. a very well-made fan yeah. film. Like I was like, wow. Yeah, they spent some money on it. The production value is super high. Like it was before, like you know, red cameras and stuff like that. They they had like that kind of quality where it was just really, really awesome. I, I would recommend anybody watching that. I think your podcast should do a review of it. Well, we are doing actually, Voldemort, right? So that should go yeah, on that we're going to do sure. a Vol- yeah, totally. We're going to do a Voldemort episode, and I definitely, you know, I want to definitely dive into uh, some of the. And then when we do the Marauders episode, talk about the. There was a fan film called Snape and the Marauders mm-hmm. that came out yep. too. That was pretty cool. It's very short, but really cool. Because um, there's there's some really awesome fan made content out there. That's yeah, yeah. And I think that stuff's great. I, I love to see it, especially when it's well done. Um, you know, it's pretty cool. So who knows what the future's uh, gonna hold for the Malfoys? Maybe if uh, Fantastic Beast bombs, we can get the uh, rights for Meet the Malfoys on a on a deal and <laughs> yes, get into production. Yes. It'll be a new Netflix like family comedy series. It'll be fun Vimeo. time. Vimeo, baby. <laughs> We're going straight to Vimeo. Straight to Vimeo. Yeah. I'm on board with it. All right. As long as Bellatrix shows up because she's related. <laughs> oh, she'll she'll make an appearance. She's yeah. the aunt. She's like the cool aunt that like, you know. 
pops in every once in a while. The cool crazy aunt. You know, yeah. she she uh you know, just drags around uh you know, cursed muggles. It's like 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 floats their you know their bodies around and it's like yeah. oh Bellatrix you brought another muggle in the house you know <laughs> oh darn <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I know it was a really clever edit of it again but I just want to squeeze her in the show somehow guys <laughs> fine she has to she'll, be she'll be in it she'll be in it we'll we'll totally we'll write her in All she's right. gonna have some episodes I can't wait. I feel it. I feel a show. I feel a pilot coming. Oh yeah, it's happening! It's happening. All I'll right. Be co- I'll, I can be. I'm down to be. I'm not great at at you know writing or any artsy stuff, but uh, you know I'll co-produce and just sort of like you know throw ideas out there. See if you they can stick, provide us you know? with the psychological guidance. Yes, I totally. I'd be down for that. Needs, I can yeah, give that, some sort of like character insight. There needs to be some real deep, uh, like subtext and message underlying mm-hmm. neath everything, every episode. <laughs> I actually, because you brought that up, um, there is a book called "The Psychology of Harry Potter," and it's just yeah, breaking seen down. All, yeah, I, I, a, a friend purchased it for me. Um, given, you know, I'm very interested in human behavior as well as Harry Potter. Um, and so it's on my to read list. So once I read it, I'm actually very interested in maybe even, um, doing a podcast around that because it's fascinating stuff, but yeah. Yeah. And there are a couple of different podcasts that combine the Harry Potter world with psychology. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't remember right off the top of my head what they're called, but there, there's one in particular where a, a, like a PhD goes through and unpacks all that stuff. And there's all these, you know, dark side isms in there, you know, where it's like, you know, your, your inner Slytherin is coming out, you know, like this kind of stuff. <laughs> it's really, it's really interesting though. Um, but I, I think there all are all those cool parallels to all this. And it's been fun to unpack the Malfoys. Oh yeah. The Malfoys are a fun family. They're so, so much fun, <laughs> but they're very interesting. Um, which is, is one of the things I love about JK Rowling is she just created these really interesting characters that like, you know, earned, like got their arc and earned their arc and, and were interesting to sort of unpack over the course of seven books and eight movies. And the Malfoys are like right up there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much wraps us up, right? I yeah, feel like that's uh, a good stopping I, yeah, point. Yeah, I think that, I think, I think we did it. All right. Well done. Um, thank you for joining us on this episode of, wicked wizardry and uh i've been tanisha and it's been my pleasure getting to talk about the malfoys and thank you to james of house slytherin and thank you to ryan of house hufflepuff for joining me it's been a really good time what was our having us what was our sign off didn't you come up with a sign off last time oh stay wicked wizards This podcast has been a production of the Creepy Kingdom Podcast Network. Executive produced by James H. Carter II and Ryan Grulick. Visit creepykingdom.com to get access to all of our articles, videos, and podcasts. Join our Patreon for exclusive content. Patreon.com slash creepykingdom. Until next time, this is Hannah reminding you to 